Good morning, Woodmont. Welcome to worship uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, just a few quick things before we begin. Every year we pick three focus areas uh, to really hone in on as a church. And I want to share those with you this morning uh, for 2021. Our three focus areas uh, will be digital ministries. We want to continue to build off of what we started this past year uh, during the pandemic and offer uh, more ministries and classes and groups online. The second focus is small groups. Uh, we want everybody to be a part of a small group, a life group. Uh, if you're interested in that, please reach out to Anne-Marie Farmer. Uh, but most importantly, we're looking for small group leaders who will help us to corral, you know, six to 10 people to meet on a uh, monthly basis, uh, either online or on a porch. Uh, but small groups, that's our second focus. And then the third focus is mission and outreach. The virus has made getting out and serving in the community and even doing things like Room in the Inn uh, very hard. And so we're hoping that as the vaccine gets rolled out, uh, that we can get more and more people in our church involved in hands-on mission and outreach. And we've continued to do our outreach funding throughout this pandemic uh, to, to support many great ministries and causes in, uh, in, our, in our community and beyond. Also this Wednesday night, Rubel Shelley and I will uh, complete our series uh, called uh, Christianity Post-Corona, and we will be talking about fear and anxiety and the role that fear plays in our lives. At what point do we move from responsibility uh, and, and become dominated by fear? So join us Wednesday at 6.30 if you'd like. Join me for a word of prayer, if you would. Loving God, open our hearts and minds that we can hear a word from you, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we continue this morality series, I want to say that it was uh, very meaningful during the weeks that we were just virtual uh, to be able to talk uh, to Tolu Schuyler Quinn and to Shane Foster. Uh, both of them are incredible people. They are leaders. Uh, I really appreciated Tolu's honesty and transparency as she shared with us what it's like uh, to, to battle glioblastoma. And uh, she's been so inspiring to so many people. And also getting to talk to Shane last week about the work that he's doing uh, as it pertains to uh, domestic violence and racial reconciliation uh, was also a, a blessing uh, for our church. In the Bible, uh, I have always admired Moses as being an example of a leader who was able to courageously lead the people during very difficult times, despite challenges, despite criticisms, despite setbacks and all the different things that the Israelite people had to go through as they journeyed through the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he receives the Ten Commandments, which is something that we are incorporating into this morality series. And so just to lift them back up again, the Ten Commandments begin by saying this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Uh, These commandments, also referred to as the Decalogue, became the law of Israel, a gift from God showing his people how they are to live their lives as a part of the covenant. The first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God, and the last six commandments have to do with our relationship with each other. But all of these commandments are very important when it comes to living a moral life. Today we are in Exodus chapter 32, while Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, Joshua has gone with him, he leaves Aaron in charge of the people. And the Israelites grow restless, as they often do, and so they go to Aaron and they say, come and make gods for us. Who shall go before us? For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, We do not know what has become of him. So Aaron, who is a much weaker leader than Moses, he he gives in to this request. And he says, gather all your jewelry and earrings and all that of your family and bring them to me. The Bible tells us that they took all of these things and Aaron got them together and he melted them and made a mold of a golden calf for them to worship. Now, isn't it ironic that while Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments that begin with, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol, we have Aaron back down, taking all the gold and jewelry and and, and forming a golden calf for the people to worship. Well, God is angry, and, and so he says to Moses, go down at once, Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have turned from me. They are now worshiping a golden calf as their God. God is angry. And he's ready to take out his wrath on the Israelites. But Moses pleads with God and asks him to spare them. And Moses comes down the mountain and he's holding the two tablets. But as soon as he approaches the camp and he sees the golden calf, anger overcomes him and he throws the tablets on the ground and they shatter into pieces. And the text tells us that he he took the calf that they had made, he burned it with fire, he ground it up into powder, he scattered it on the water and he made the Israelites drink it because he was furious with them. You know, it's very easy for us to read the Bible, to read a passage like this in the Old Testament and say, well, what does this have to do with us? How is this relevant to our lives today? What does it matter if a bunch of stubborn Israelites, after wandering through the desert, create a golden calf and decide to bow down and worship it? Has it occurred to you that that maybe we've been wandering through the COVID desert now for about 10 months. We've been complaining and bickering about things that we don't like. We've wondered where is God in the midst of all this, a question that Rubel, Shelley, and I explored last Wednesday. Why are we having to go through this? When will it end? 
The truth of the matter is we still have our idols today. In fact, there may be more idols in the 21st century than the Israelites had back in the, in the day, the time of Moses. In his great book, Counterfeit Gods, a Presbyterian minister, Tim Keller, who pastored in New York for a really long time, he says this, he says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. What are the idols of the 21st century that we often find ourselves worshiping and turning to for security? What are the things that we are guilty of putting in the place of God? Let's name a few this morning. The first one is money. We live in a world where it's all about money. Those who don't have money want more of it. Those who have plenty of money don't want to lose it. And I made a decision a while back in my ministry that I was going to talk about money because Jesus talked a lot about money. I don't think that it does any of us any good to just not go there. There are very few things in our world that motivate people like money. And this is understandable because it takes money to pay for basic necessities in life, food, shelter, clothing. But there are many misunderstandings about money in our culture. There's a widespread misunderstanding that money in and of itself will bring about more satisfaction in life. And the only people who know that money is not the answer to becoming more satisfied are those who already have a lot of it and they're still not satisfied. Even these individuals still wonder what it would be like to have a little bit more. Remember when somebody asked John D. Rockefeller, how much is enough? Do you remember what he said? Just a little bit more. If it's true that wealth brings about happiness and satisfaction, then shouldn't the wealthiest people in our culture be the happiest and the most satisfied? But that's often not the case. I know many people who are very well off, and yet they are some of the unhappiest people that I know. They may have everything in life to live with, but they are still looking and longing for something to live for. Jesus is very clear about the subject of money in the New Testament. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. So yes, it's okay to earn money and save money and invest money and work hard for money, but we can't turn money into an idol or a false god. A second idol that I see in our culture, especially right now at this time, is politics. Politics, political parties, political candidates and figures. You know, I love the fact that Woodmont is a Big Ten church, and we have Republicans and Democrats 
and libertarians and everything in between. I think that's a good thing. I think that that's a healthy thing. You've heard me say that for years. In fact, it would be very boring around here if, if we were politically homogenous. But what I don't like is when politics on either side blinds us and becomes our primary loyalty. Sometimes we are so committed to our political party or our political candidate that we, we don't or we're not willing to think for ourselves. In his book, Morality, that I've recommended to go along with this series, Jonathan Sachs talks about the death of civility. He says something new is happening in our politics. It's a sense that the other side is less than fully human, that its supporters are not part of the same moral community as us, that somehow their sensibilities are alien and threatening as if they were not the opposition within a political arena, but the enemy, full stop. And Sachs then says this, he says, our incivility is the result of four actions or four factors, and he names them. The first one, he says, is a deepening and growing individualism in Western society. Secondly, he says, the internet has changed the way that we communicate with each other. Third, he says, the uncivilizing impact of social media in our culture has led to a cacophony of noise and it's replaced true communication and real news. And the fourth factor that he names, and this one's very interesting, is the division between what he calls the somewheres and the anywheres. Simply put, there are many who feel ignored by the elites as though their voice and their lives and their economic conditions don't matter. And that's what leads to populism. But politics can quickly become an idol because as Jonathan Haidt says, it binds us and blinds us to where we can't see or even hear or listen to another perspective. It binds us to people who seem see the world the same way we do, and it blinds us to hearing alternative perspectives from our own. The third idol that I want to identify this morning that we are guilty of turning to is success and status. We want to know the right people. We want to be in the right place. We want to go to the right parties. We want to send our kids to the right schools, have the right connections. And so what happens is people treat certain people differently if they think that they can help them move up the ladder. Have you ever been around somebody who wanted to use you to get something? And then when they realized that you couldn't get that something for them, they really had no use for you anymore? That seems to happen a lot. Social status can quickly become an idol. But Jesus was certainly not concerned with social status. Look at the folks that he hung around. Look at the folks that he reached out to, the marginalized, the people that were shunned and shamed by other people. I would also say that workaholism 
is tied to success and status, and it's become a big problem in American culture. Some people miss their kids growing up and their games and their plays because they are working all the time. And then they wonder, where did the time go? How can I get it back? Balance is important in life. Success is not everything. The fourth idol that I want to lift up this morning is the idol of self. There are many people who worship themselves. This is called narcissism. Many think that life always revolves around them, and the concept of putting others first does not even begin to cross their mind. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Any who want to become my followers must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Social media honestly hasn't helped this problem. It's given us a platform to constantly broadcast what we are doing at any given moment. Look at me. Look at what I have. Frankly, I see a lot of it as a cry for attention. And so much of it is unhealthy. Lastly, the fifth idol that I want to lift up this morning is our stuff. And this is a broad category. What do I mean by stuff? I mean houses, cars, TVs, furniture, designer clothing, shoes, purses, handbags, jewelry, watches, all the things that we think we have to have to be happy and satisfied. But the joke is always on us because we get this stuff, but then we're never happy and satisfied. Or we get the stuff and we're satisfied for a little while, but then we need something new, something better. Rabbi Sachs has a chapter in the morality book that's titled Consuming Happiness. And he says this, he says, a consumer society in short encourages us to spend money we don't have on products we don't need for happiness that won't last. So many of the things that that we buy that we think will make us happy don't. And then we need something else. Sachs quotes another author who says, It is a remarkable paradox that at the pinnacle of human material and technical achievement, we find ourselves anxiety-ridden, prone to depression, worried about how others see us, unsure of our friendships, driven to consume with little or no community life. That's from a book called The Spirit Level. We can't consume our way to happiness. And we know this because we've all tried. So our stuff quickly becomes an idol and we start worshiping our stuff and wishing we had more stuff. And and we know that if we look around, there's always gonna be people who have more stuff than we do. So these are the five idols that, that I see being the most common in our culture. Money, politics, success, self, and stuff. And if we're not careful, These are the things that become our golden calves. These are the things we put in the place of God. So what's the answer? The answer is that we keep our focus on Christ and what he taught. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells us and shows us how to live. It's not always easy. 
It's not always convenient, but it's what our world needs. Take care of the poor, he says. Help those who have little or nothing. Spend time with those who don't look like you. Forgive those who have hurt you, even if it's a deep hurt. Show mercy and compassion to those who need it. Be kind, be humble, be loving. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. These are some of the teachings of Jesus that should inform how we live, how we interact with each other, how we treat others. These are the teachings that matter. The Ten Commandments simply serve as the foundation of the covenant, as guidelines for a healthy and moral life. God's covenant with the Israelites and now our covenant with God as well. But here's what happens when we lose focus on Christ and these teachings. When we stop worshiping God, we fill the void with all the things that I have mentioned this morning and they quickly become our idols. Years ago when I was doing my doctorate at Suwannee, I... um, got to spend some time with Stanley Hauerwas, a theologian from Duke, and I was having a conversation with him, and I asked him a simple question. I said, "Uh, Dr. Hauerwas, what do you see as being the greatest challenge for the 21st century church and Christians, right, because Christians make up the church? What's the greatest challenge that lies ahead? And without thinking twice, he looked at me and he said one word, Idolatry. Idolatry. Let's not replace God and the teachings of Jesus with the things of this world that only leave us empty and restless. Amen.